Welcome back to the Fifth and Long Podcast, brought to you by Patrick DeMar and Paul Kayshak. Got a good one for you folks this week. A two-part holiday episode, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa to those of you who celebrate. Paul and I are going to be talking mostly NFL stuff in this first episode with some fantasy football and NBA Christmas stuff sprinkled in as well. Then in the second part of the episode, we'll be covering some light Major League Baseball topics as well as... uh, some college football playoff semifinal stuff, previewing those games, making our picks. After those games finish, we're going to be doing a live reaction to the results of those games. That's something that we're we're very excited for. But uh, in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Fifth and Long, Instagram at Fifth and Long Pod, same for YouTube, and most importantly, enjoy the show. Welcome back, Fifth and Long fans, and a Merry Christmas to everybody. We're recording this the afternoon of December 26th. Paul, my man, I have eaten so... I, I You might have seen my Instagram story. I made like the biggest charcuterie plate ever. I think we had seven or eight different cheeses on there. There was only four of us eating it, and we went through like probably half... Man, I'm, I'm not. My stomach was feeling rough this morning. I'll be real with you. But otherwise, I had a great holiday. I, I hope you had a fantastic holiday as well. Yeah, man, sure did. Uh, you have any uh, pepperoni on your charcuterie boards? Wouldn't be complete without it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Excellent. I, had, I had some pepperoni on there. I had some uh, prosciutto, salam, a little mortadella as well. Um, it was good. It was good. That was my contribution to the to the family holiday. But we had some other great snacks in there as well. Um, Mom always makes an awesome prime rib dinner for us. And uh, we have some Christmas music playing, but mostly we're watching football or basketball or something on the TV. Yeah, we, we had a good uh, good spread as well. Um, got some turkey on Christmas Day. Uh, my mom does like a broccoli cheese uh, and rice casserole that was excellent as well uh christmas eve night we do we do a variation of the seven fishes because my mom's side of the family's italian but my uh my dad and my sister don't like like seafood so we we do shrimp scampi and then on the other side pretty much we do roast beef and and potatoes of some sort so it's a nice little juxtaposition there food i I personally like uh i like the christmas eve spread a little bit better i kind of think christmas eve is the real holiday rather than christmas day I don't know if everybody shares that opinion, but Christmas Eve's got a better feel to it for me. I know what you mean. There's like the anticipation of Christmas Eve from your childhood, I think always sort of sticks with you, you know, like that never really goes away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's nice to be able to to get a good night's sleep now on Christmas Eve when previously I'd probably get four or five hours of sleep, just hoping to <laughs> just hoping to fall asleep before Santa got there so that I would get my presents. And obviously the harder you try to fall asleep, the more difficult it is to, but it was a great holiday for me. I'm glad to hear it was the same for you. Yeah. I slept in just enough to, to wake up in time for uh, the first NBA Christmas game. Um, That was Knicks bucks. Knicks ended up winning that one. And then there was, there was another game between Celtics Lakers. Um, I want to say it was warriors nuggets 
Yeah, it was. And then it went into Celtics Lakers. That was Celtics Lakers, obviously being, being a Boston guy, that was the game I really wanted to see, but I was kind of tuning in between that and the NFL games throughout the day. And, um, the, the one note I'll have about the Celtics, they, I would love to see a finals against the Lakers. I don't know if the Lakers have enough to make it through the West. Um, the Nuggets are the reigning champs for a reason, and they've got the best player in Jokic. And anybody that that gets to the finals or wins it is going to have to get through them. On uh, a sleeper team that not enough people are talking about are the Timberwolves. They actually have uh, – they're tied for the best record in basketball right now. Well, they they have one less win than the Celtics, but they have the same amount of losses – so technically the Celtics have a better winning percentage, but that that could be an interesting finals matchup as well. The West is really crowded. It's going to be an absolute meat grinder to get through for whoever makes it. But the Celtics have probably the best top six in the league. I'm not trying to sound like a homer. They've got an all-star caliber player at every position. J.J. Redick was calling Derek White an all-star caliber player today, and the metrics – favor him he's he didn't even crack that nba top 100 list that they had a while back but um i'm excited to see what they can do this year as long as we don't i'm scared of missoula's coaching in some ways and how we play down the stretch in certain games we get a little three-point happy and and tatum has this thing where at the end of games he doesn't like to drive he just sort of shoots pull up threes but We'll, we'll live by them and we'll die by them, I think, ultimately. And we'll have to see what happens. But I'm rooting for them. This this could be the year. This is probably the best chance we've had. Boston fans are nervous, man. You guys you guys in the Bruins just you go off in the regular season and it's just all about the playoffs. I mean, it's certainly impressive what you're doing now. Kristaps uh, has been doing well for you guys, right? Yeah, he's been a huge addition to the team. The way he can play through, through Brown and how they play with each other is – really something to watch and, and brown has been awesome to start the year as well he's just been attacking guys left and right he hasn't played scared at all Porzingis gives them more flexibility on offense that they had last year they're not as great defensively in the paint but so many more teams nowadays are centered around offense the celtics are good enough defensively on the perimeter and their forwards are are good enough sort of tracking back defensively that they can they can cover for that little weakness they have there. Otherwise, um, I think we've got a great shot to win the title this year. We just have to – the playoffs are a different animal. They're played totally differently than the regular season, so it's all going to just depend on matchups once we get there. But as far as other teams in the East go, um, I actually – I'm not really worried about the Bucs. They have some serious defense issues that were exposed a little bit actually in that game against – uh, New York uh, Brunson's been playing really well for the Knicks to start the year, but you can just attack them on offense and they're not going to be able, most of the time they're not going to be able to stop you. They're not as solid a defensive unit as they are um, on the offensive side of the ball. So do you think that that's going to kind of be the Celtic strategy here to get over that last hurdle and win the championship is, is try to just outscore people or is it going to try to be to match up and, and try to limit people from a defensive perspective, because I'm interested myself not being uh, as avid of a follower of the NBA. How can a team, whether they're in the West coast or the East coast and they meet in the finals, how can a team limit Jokic? 
you mess you mentioned that he's he's the best player in the NBA right now. Obviously, the focal point of that championship team from a year ago. I'm interested to see who you think on the Celtics and really, I mean, any other contender, how they would approach that. Are they just going to let him eat and get his and try to outscore the rest of the Nuggets? Or do you try and and neutralize him and shut him down and, and let the others around him fill in with the points? Interesting question. And I think the simple and the simple answer, it's going to sound like a cop out, but the simple answer is somebody's going to have to figure out a way to stop him for four games in a seven game series. Nobody, nobody did that last year. And I'm not sure someone will be able to do it this year. The, the, the bench of the nuggets is a little bit different. Uh, Christian Brown is filling in for the role that uh, I believe Bruce Brown used to have uh, with, with the Mavericks, Bruce Brown now with the Pacers. Uh, but Christian Braun is taking that over and said, you, you'll, you'll probably remember Christian Braun Brown from, um, I think he was playing with Kansas a team that won the national championship a couple years ago. Sure was. He was on that Nuggets team that won it last year as well. Yeah. And he's sort of filled into that role for Denver this year. Um, I, I think your best chance is going to be. You just have to figure out a way to outscore them more than anything. And the Celtics have enough defensive pieces where they can cover the other guys on that team. And they've tried to build a roster now where they have five different guys on the floor, pretty much at all times that can stretch the floor that can drive on you or can, you know, make, make the right pass. Porzingis is the weakness defensively in that group. When they bring in Horford, it, it helps a little bit, but he's old. You, you don't want to see him play too much in games because there is a his knees aren't what they used to be he's not going to be able to hold up for 25 minutes probably in a game anymore um i'm excited i don't even know that that the nuggets will make it out of that conference i think the timberwolves legitimately give them a solid solid go at it they've got rudy gobert there and they've got carl anthony towns they've got two towers down there that they can throw at Jokic. And Anthony Edwards has taken a real leap as a player. He's now, he should be considered a bona fide superstar guy. But then you've got other teams in the West too, like the Thunder are doing some really awesome things this year. Shea Gilgis Alexander is one of the best players in the league. Uh, Chet Holmgren is the favorite for Rookie of the Year, well-deserved as well. He's been phenomenal. Uh, The Mavericks are doing some really exciting things as well. It's there's a lot of season left. So again, kind of like I said earlier, it's gonna depend on playoff matchups and who ends up where, but I'm excited as a Celtics fan and and definitely think this is the best chance we've had as a group in in the the history that Tatum and Brown have been our one two punch. Um NFL yeah. stuff though. NFL stuff though. Yeah, let's get off the NBA, baby. <laughs> I'm just kidding to our NBA followers out there. I hope everybody enjoyed the the NBA Christmas time. Uh, no, it was magic in games. It was a good good experience. I think I, I kind of stopped watching once the once the Ravens Niners game came on. I didn't tune in um, to to the later games in the NBA slate. But Ravens Niners that this was our this was our bet against each other last week. And I wanted to 
<laughs> I, I admittedly, I forgot that I had to pay you back that like 10 bucks or whatever until midway through the week. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll just wait to see what happens with this game. When the Niners inevitably win, I'll pay Paul back all of the $20. Instead, I don't have to pay you back anything. Uh, but I I don't want to take too much credit because I didn't say that the Ravens were going to outright win this game. You gave me a plus 10 line and Baltimore dominated defensively. What were uh, obviously Purdy has the rough game for interceptions. What was your just initial reaction to how this game played out? Uh, it was exactly what you said. Uh, defense, 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 defense when it comes to Baltimore. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, I think, is already one of the best safeties in football, period. I mean, that guy was was all over the place, and he set the tone early with that interception. I was watching the Pat McAfee show, and they were saying that he was 16 yards off of the ball when Purdy uh, steps into his throw. I'm talking about the Purdy's first interception on San Francisco's opening drive, and he cuts in front of Debo Samuel there. to. It's basically a seven-point play because I thought San Francisco was marching the ball down and was going to score other guys on the Ravens stepped up as well. Uh, I think it was Stevens that forced the deflection for the second interception. And then it was a pass rush on, on Purdy that flushed him out of the pocket. And uh, he made a poor decision to throw across his body. Another deflection in the secondary. And then who comes down with the third interception of the game for the Ravens, second personal for Kyle Hamilton. So it's, it's all defense with me. I thought Lamar was serviceable. He wasn't bad. I thought he was a little bit shaky early. He got it together in the second half when Baltimore was playing from ahead. But, you know, we, I think we've at separate points talked about how the Browns are one of the most elite defenses in the NFL. I think Cowboys have been thrown out there earlier. Baltimore is the best defense, hands down, for me. I mean, they're leading the league in opponent points per game. They've got the best turnover margin as well. Just uh, absolutely dominant from top to bottom. And they're capable of winning games when Lamar has his off day. He didn't have an off day here, again, like I said. But it should give the Ravens solace that Lamar doesn't have to bring his a game each round of the playoffs, whether they get a buy or not, you know? So that's the biggest takeaway for me. I think that San Francisco will bounce back. Uh, Purdy had a really bad game against Cincinnati midway through the year. I think he threw three interceptions in that game. He certainly responded since then. So I'm not really worried about him bouncing back in the Niners as a whole. I still think that they're absolutely the best team in the NFC. And from an offensive perspective, definitely the best team in football. They didn't show it here today in Santa Clara or show it yesterday on Christmas night. But that's the biggest takeaway when we talk about Baltimore's defense, not as much taken away from San Francisco. Ultimately, I, I agree with you. I The Ravens defense to me, I thought about it after the game and I was trying to think about other defenses that could really keep up with the Niners like they did. And the Cowboys and the Browns were the, were the only two teams I really thought about. And they were both maybes. Remember the Niners destroyed Dallas earlier in the season. So as soon as I, I thought about that, I went, no, never mind. Cleveland, they haven't played. And that's a team that I'd be interested no, they, to see. They have, they have played them. Cleveland beat them earlier in the year. If you remember, that was the first, that was the first game on San Francisco's three game losing streak. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. A, 1917. Jake Moody missed a game-winning field goal as time expired in that one. So and they Cleveland's had, been able to get to him as well. Yeah, they had McCaffrey in that game. They didn't have Debo, uh, it looks like. And I don't – no, they did. But that was this was the game that Debo got hurt in, I think. Yeah, it looks like yes. it was. 
Sounds about right. I, I think that they were dealing with an injury to him and, and maybe one or two others. And I guess we shouldn't overlook the fact in this game that Trent Williams uh, did leave with an injury. But for all intents and purposes, this was the full cast of characters for for San Francisco. And, and while they let the Niners get some yards, the Ravens defense, that is, you know, they stood firm when they needed to in the red zone and, um, and you know, forcing turnovers again, like I said. So I, I take away that this was a far more impressive defensive performance than the one that the Browns showed a few weeks back in the middle of the year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they just had they had pressure on Purdy all night. They had uh, four sacks. They had nine quarterback hits. So it, he wasn't throwing with clean pockets, for one, like you're used to him seeing. And two, his receivers weren't wide open all the time either. In coverage, they were – they have so many different versatile guys in their secondary. They can throw at people that they were actually able to match up with San Francisco. And I think that's kind of what led to the interceptions. You saw the tip passes as a result of the pressure. You saw um, some poor throws too from Purdy, but man, Baltimore now undoubtedly looks like the best team in the NFL. Certainly. I, I would say that, I mean, would you still have them as the favorite or would you have them now as the favorite to win since they, you know, the Niners is, like they did. This is uh this is going to seem pretty counterintuitive, but I, I still would be taking San Francisco to win the, to win the Super Bowl. I think that they'll respond to, to this adversity. I think that they already did it earlier in the year when they had that stretch where they lost to Cincinnati, Cleveland, and one other team that's escaping me right now. I think Baltimore is a little bit better defensively, but I still think top to bottom when we look offensively that San Francisco is better and San Francisco was here last year. I mean, let's not forget Brock Purdy still has twice as many playoff wins as Lamar Jackson does. So I'm giving the experience factor a little bit to San Francisco here. And I trust Kyle Shanahan as a coach to devise a game plan to exploit this defense. If they were to face each other uh, a second time in Super Bowl. Some of the intangibles like coaching, like experience, I'm still going to give to San Francisco, and I would still take them in a uh, do-or-die Super Bowl game. But the gap, you know, closes significantly. I was saying that San Francisco is the best team the NFL seen since the 07 Patriots. And, I, I you know, I have to admit, I got to walk that take back uh, after <laughs> after seeing this game. I was trying to tell you, that was a little, that was a little far-fetched. Hey, it, it was it was wrong. It was out there. Um I would say not quite as out there as some of your backup quarterback takes, but I'm sure that we'll get into that as, as we get later into the podcast. Oh, yes, we will. Yes, we will. Uh, <laughs> Dolphins Cowboys was another Christmas day fiesta or another game that was part of our Christmas day fiesta. I should say 22, 20 final score in that one. This was, this was a game that, at the end of it, you knew you were going to learn something about the other. The Cowboys had yet to beat a team with a winning record on the road. Uh, the Dolphins had yet to beat a team with a winning record in general. So at the end of it, I was I was excited to see who was going to prevail. And I knew that we were going to learn things, like I said, about both teams. And we definitely did. I think on the Cowboys side of things, the biggest defense, uh, the biggest difference in their team this year to last year is their lack of a consistent running game. And I think that hurts them in games like this, where they need to be able to consistently push the ball downfield in different ways than having Dak connect with CD for 20 plus yard gains. Uh, last year, they averaged 135.2 yards a game. They had 24 touchdowns by year's end. 
This year, with two games left to play, they have 13 touchdowns. and They're averaging 115.2 yards per game. Maybe some of that is, is for missing Zeke and not having that one-two punch to go off of all the time. I mean, to my to my knowledge, there aren't any like drastic changes they've had on their O-line otherwise. So I I I still like them as a team and and I think they can they're still one of the better teams in the NFC, but now on the road, playing against a good defense, I, I don't I don't trust them as much as I did a few weeks ago. And I'll give the Dolphins credit too. I mean, they've got Jalen Ramsey, they've got Xavier Howard now in their secondary. Both those guys healthy and playing. Um, they're missing a few guys on defense, but they're not terrible. They, they've had a couple of good games now against against tough teams in the league. And and Tyreek Hill obviously is a fantastic player. I, I thought the most important play of the game came down to that third down and two or three with just a few minutes to go in the fourth quarter where it was evident that if – Miami converted a first down. They were pretty much going to just be able to run the clock out and win. They didn't do anything fancy. They didn't run it up the middle or like call any extravagant plays. They just gave it to Tyreek on a screen and he just ran for like eight yards and picked it up easy. So Miami has their warts still and they have yet to, this was the a step towards proving themselves for me, but they still got a ways to go as far as that goes for me. Um, a lot of their points came from field goals today. Jason Sanders had 15 points off five field goals. So the Cowboys were holding them on defense. They just couldn't, they just couldn't keep up with them offensively. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that both teams still have a little bit more to prove, but I think that both teams did prove something on this, this given Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about Miami quick. Cause I actually have more to say about Dallas. Uh, this is huge for them. They can finally get the monkey off their back. It had been since week three of the 2022 season. They they had beaten a team with a winning record. That was their game against Buffalo. If you'll remember, that was actually the game that Buffalo's offensive coordinator, famous for slamming down the iPad. Um, I think it was when Buffalo couldn't get off the field uh, in time to, to kick a game time field goal at the end of that one. But not to go into too much detail on that. So, so this is huge for them. I think that it's a nice prove it moment for the guys in that locker room, McDaniel and his coaching staff, that they're capable of beating a, a playoff caliber team and and a Dallas Cowboys team that I think still has aspirations set on a Super Bowl. So you can legitimately call them a Super Bowl contender. I agree that there's some things that they got to clean up. Obviously, finishing drives is 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 one of those and. Um, Tyreek was solid as, as typical, so they were able to get him back involved. But they got to do a better job of finishing drives here. I, I'm sure that they'll work to to clean that up and make Daniel Will with his coaching staff. Now to the Dallas side. I was watching Get Up uh, Christmas morning with Mike Greenberg, uh, Jeff Saturday, and I believe Ryan Clark was the, the other host that they had on the show. And they were saying how this game is proof that it's the same old Cowboys and they, they can't win, you know, in the big games, they can't win when it's close margin. And that's just not really the conclusion that I draw from this. You know, Dallas is on the road here and they lose on a game winning field goal as time expires to a legitimate AFC Super Bowl or AFC championship contender in Miami. I thought Dak Prescott was very good. Nothing like dazzling 250 yards, two touchdowns, but he lead, engineers the what would have been the, the game-winning drive had they held on, the go-ahead drive, so to speak, takes up nearly seven minutes of time, and he finds Brandon Cooks in double coverage for the, for the 
go ahead touchdown. That was an incredible play. Absolutely. Incredible throw and, and great job from Brandon Cooks to come down with that. I thought Dallas showed me plenty here. You know, I think that they've competed. They've shown that they are at the caliber level of these other top teams in the NFL. With yeah. the exception of that game against San Francisco, you know, they crushed Philly at home, took Philly down to the wire on the road. They do the same thing here again with Miami. They're having difficulties pulling these games out in the end. But back when, you know, the Steelers were looking good and I was saying that it was kind of all smoke and mirrors because they were winning one possession games and, and benefiting from turnovers. I think honestly, part of that has to do with luck. And I'm going to say the same thing here with Dallas. I think that you can attribute a part of it to bad luck rather than just culture. So I was encouraged that Dallas was able to hang this competitively in Miami. Would have been nice for them, obviously, to come out with a win. But I thought Dak stepped up. We'll talk about him a little bit more in the MVP race. They need to get the running game more involved, and they need a second legitimate pass-catching option outside of C.D. Lamb. But all in all, I think that both teams can really step away from this kind of feeling satisfactory just of how competitive they were and considering all the noise that was around them, they couldn't hang around with some of the, the top dogs, whether it would be Dallas on the road or just Miami with a competitive team in general. I don't hate your stance on that. Certainly for Dallas. I mean, you played with the Dolphins and you pretty much made them play your style of football. It's not like this was a 40 something to 30 something shootout, which is probably how you would have thought Miami wanted it to go. You would think. Yeah, Dallas did a great job of controlling time of possession. I mean, their opening drive was, what, seven, seven and a half minutes. Obviously, it ended in that fumble, which it shouldn't have even come down to that. Tony Pollard had a clear lane if he just bounced it outside on the pitch to the corner of the end zone. And the final drive of the game for Dallas that I mentioned was like seven minutes there. So that's basically one quarter of football that they just consumed with their first and last drive. I think that that was definitely part of the game plan, play defense with their offense. Right. Yeah, I just don't – I mean, at this point, like, I was really – I think the two seed is going to be a coveted position to have at the end of the year because you're going to end up playing against, I mean, maybe the Seahawks, maybe the Falcons, uh, could even be the Vikings. Like, the Seahawks are the most dangerous out of those three teams, but none of those teams really make you scared. I know Philly lost to the Seahawks a couple weeks back, but that was in Seattle – kind of a weird game. Um, I just think longevity wise, if the Cowboys have to play on the road throughout the playoffs, it's, it's not good for them. So that's, that's the sour note in my mouth for me from this game. I, I agree with you in terms of their competitiveness and their ability with other teams, but we've seen this now two games Philly and, and Miami playing them on the road and coming down to the wire and coming up just short against those teams. And in Buffalo too, they lost that game as well. Buffalo is also a competitor at this point. So that's, I, I think at home they're able to beat and play with any of those teams. Like we saw them play against Philly, but like even that loss to Dallas or to uh San Fran, even that game against San Fran, that was in, uh, in San Francisco as well. They're totally different in terms of, what I expect from them being able to to play against those top teams at home versus on the road. I, I, I could have seen them winning against Miami if this was in Dallas, for sure. Well, definitely, I agree with that. If this was in Dallas, they would have won. I, I guess to put my point in a little bit of a clear perception, it's that 
you know, I mentioned this game against Miami and of course the game against Philadelphia a couple weeks earlier when, you know, the games literally come down to the final seconds. There's a lot of things in an NFL game that can flip flop one way or the other, one call here or there that could sway the outcome of the game. And I think the fact that Dallas has proven that they can, they can definitely compete with some of the top teams on the road. I think that people are overlooking the fact of how close this game was and how close the Philly game was. And I just take a different perception than a lot of the national media is. And, and you, when it's coming down to uh, close losses, I think people attribute that as to some, a trend that will continue. Whereas I think that that's inevitably, I think a lot of that's luck and, and it can even out, you know, I, I think Dallas is, I think Dallas has proven themselves more on the road than people are giving them credit for. Cause I don't, I don't see all the other, these other teams competing as well as they have against top fledged teams on the road. I mean, they got crushed by San Francisco. You are right there, but a lot of team, like yeah, that's... Philly, like every team has gotten, gotten crushed by San Francisco, I guess with the exception of Baltimore. Yeah. It just makes the Baltimore win all that more impressive to me. Yeah, it does. Raiders chiefs. This was the shocker of the day on Christmas. I, I guess I, I thought this was more surprising than uh, Baltimore, San Francisco, at least. The Chiefs lose to the Raiders 24-20. And they only scored one offensive touchdown. Both teams, actually. Like, what? I mean, Mahomes, they, they, so they had this stretch, right? Where they were up, I think it was like 10-7. And yeah, something like that. Well, they scored first, the, the Chiefs did. Yeah, they were up. Or they scored and- the first touchdown, at least. And then they gave up a strip sack six, not even really a sack. They had this weird play where Mahomes like handed it off to the running back and then was supposed to loop around him and get the ball back and do something. And there was a fumble on the second exchange. Andy Reid just outsmarted himself, basically. And then Mahomes has the pick six on the next drive and then throws another pick after that on the drive afterwards on just like a lazy little like off balance like toss of his you see the little move i did there i did <laughs> um that's i there but we talked about it a couple weeks ago that they just don't seem they just don't seem like the chiefs and then they beat my patriots up in foxborough last week because of course they do most teams have at this point we'll talk broncos pats later <laughs> i'm I'm really nervous about them. They're three and five in their last eight games. They don't look anything like the chiefs of the last four or five years. And I, I don't want to hear you saying that they're still dangerous because they have Mahomes. Mahomes hasn't been that good. He's He's got, he's like third in the league for, for turnovers as far as quarterbacks go. He's, he's part of the problem now, honestly. I mean, I, I know he doesn't have as many guys to throw to, but he's not playing up to his standard. Like if you want to, People were talking about him as the next greatest of all time. I mean, I can think back to some years where Brady had absolutely nobody to throw to. There was one year where he had Rache Caldwell as his number one receiving option, and they still won like 11 games, and it it looked better than this. This is... the, The Chiefs are now in a situation where It's not I'm not going to go as far as saying it's the beginning of the end because it's not there's they've got Mahomes and he'll make them competitive to where they will be a team with that 10 wins 
plus record at the end of the year. They're still going to win 10, 11 games this year, but I don't trust them in the playoffs anymore. They can't even win against the, their, the third or fourth place teams in their division at home. They've lost to the Broncos. Now they lost to the, the Raiders. Now they've lost other games in, in stupid fashions. And this one wasn't on the receivers or the skill guys. It was just mistakes from Pat. So I'll, I'll credit the Raiders. I, I was saying last, last week that, Antonio Pierce deserves the head coaching nod for next year. I definitely feel that way now, the way he's been able to, to lead this team. I'll be pissed <laughs> if the Davis family goes a different direction. Um, Man, nothing was as good as seeing Taylor Swift like ringing bells for Travis Kelsey plays <laughs> when the Chiefs are losing. So satisfying. Gift to America, honestly. Yeah, I don't think that America is feeling too bad for Kansas City right now. Um, I'm certainly not feeling bad for him, but uh, I'm sorry. I, I I still trust him because they have Patrick Mahomes. I, I know that things have looked terrible there. And I, I think that your initial point was was your best one where I, I think that they were out thinking things. You know, so it's like calculus sometimes what they do in the backfield before before they run a play. I think that there was one play where they were driving uh, down near the goal line where they didn't even have anybody in the in the backfield lined up as a quarterback i think mahomes split out wide and so was pacheco eventually pacheco motions into the backfield and i think he takes a direct snap um but yeah there, there's a lot of moving parts to to their offense and what, what goes on in the backfield and, and today or christmas day it burned them um i would say that mahomes while he hasn't been perfect this year and while he is up there in terms of turnovers among quarterbacks this year i think it's it's unfair to say that he is part of the problem. I mean, it wasn't him who dropped a perfect ball. Not normally, Philly. but in this game, in this game, they lost this game because of in, the, in this, in this game, I'll, I'll give you that one. I mean, it, his stat line is less than impressive in this one. And he only was able to generate uh, one touchdown himself, but I'm talking about in terms of the whole season, you know, you go back to that game against Philadelphia, which I was just about to mention. He absolutely throws a dime to Marquez Valdez Scantling, like, 60 yards in the air. can't remember exactly at this point and would have been a touchdown and that would have given Kansas city the lead there and the receiver drops it. You know, they also, they have a play drawn up to, to take the lead against Buffalo and you have the offsides by Kadarius Tony. I mean, those two small things are not on Patrick Mahomes. And if they flip flop the other way, you know, the chiefs might be 11 and four with a win against Philadelphia and Buffalo to add to their resume. And we wouldn't be having this discussion. They are not the big bad boys that they were last year, or maybe a couple of years before when they won their first Super Bowl. But do I trust this team more than the others in the AFC because of the quarterback? Yes, absolutely. He didn't have anybody to throw to last year either. Okay, let's keep that in mind. Juju Smith-Schuster is gone, and Sky Moore hasn't done anything this year. But those are the only two main detractions, I guess you could say. And I don't think anybody's going to say that that's going to be a difference in a Patrick Mahomes led team in terms of making and potentially winning the Super Bowl or not. Well, Tra trust Travis Kelsey was playing at an all pro level last year. He's not doing that to the extent uh, that he was last year, this season. That's a big difference. Correct. But I mean, he's, he's still the same player. He's still there and we'll see, you know, what he can do if he's saving any of his energy for the, for the playoffs. You make a fair point about, about Kelsey there, but like he's he's still there, you know. I still I still think that that caliber of play is within him. I mean, we've seen it at different points in this season, just not as consistently. 
So I still trust them. They would believe it or not, they would still be my pick to come out of the AFC just because of the quarterback. But things don't look great right now. I can I can admit that. I would probably have them as the fourth, maybe fifth best team in the AFC right now. Like I, I would I trust the Browns, Bills, Dolphins, and Ravens more than the Chiefs. Can't quite get there. If you want to say that you can trust the Ravens and maybe and maybe the Dolphins now after this win against the the Cowboys, I can see it because of good coaching and you know some good quarterback play and talented <laughs> players they have around them. But I'm sorry, you know, like the Bills, we talked about them. They've been inconsistent throughout the they year. They beat KC in Kansas City. That that could be a playoff matchup. Understood. Understood. I mean, they would theoretically they'd have to do it again, most likely, because they'd have to probably go on the road. Um and, you know, I talked about that game. I mentioned that it was a it was a small offsides call that was basically the difference in it. So it wasn't yeah. like they they blew him out. Yeah. I've learned enough with Mahomes now watching him play for six or seven years that he's able to find another level when he needs to. And I think that that'll come in the playoffs. I, I do. I trust I trust the man. I do think at the end of his career, he'll be one of, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. So and he won with nobody around him last year. I believe he can do it again. If he can pull that off again this season, that would be like truly next level stuff. <laughs> would be. Uh, just for the entertainment of it, I hope you're right for this year. Not necessarily in the overarching scheme of NFL history, but it'd be pretty impressive if he could pull that off again this season. Um, Lions Vikings. Nick Mullins. Yuck. Yeah. <laughs> 30 to 24 final score. Detroit gets gets a win, seal the the NFC North division title, their first division title in 30 years, 30 something years. Awesome awesome win for for Lions fans. This game actually made me think back to the first week of the season when they were playing the Chiefs and they win that game after the Kadarius Tony like tipped interception, catch no catch, pick six. Uh and I, I was watching that game in a bar with a Lions fan sitting next to me. And it was like, he was celebrating like they just won the Super Bowl. And I thought about it at the time. And they they had just opened their season with a win against the defending Super Bowl champions. That it had to have felt pretty great. And now they're they're going to be a top three or four seed in the NFC, probably a top three seed, maybe even a top two seed. Uh Dan Campbell, I really believe in, even though I've criticized him at times a bunch on this show. They have some issues, but I'm happy for him. I I will say, I don't know if they win this game, if they're playing against almost anybody but Nick Mullins or or Brock Purdy, I guess. Mullins had four four picks. Most of them were in situations where he was kind of just heaving the ball up for grabs and hoping Jefferson or somebody could come down with it. He had some bad throws. Um, Jefferson saved him a few times too. He had some crazy plays in this game. Um, and I'll, I'll give, I'll give Detroit some credit. I mean, they put up 30 points too on, on this defense. Minnesota's 10th in the league in opponents points per game. They're only giving up 19.9 points per game, even after this game. So I, I believe in them, man. I think they could be a tough team to play against for almost anybody in the NFC. 
We haven't seen them play against the Niners yet. I would love to see that matchup. San Francisco probably wins, but who knows? Maybe the Lions can can keep up the pace with them. Um, overall, though, my biggest takeaway is I think if if Kirk Cousins is healthy, who's to say Minnesota isn't winning this division? Even still with the loss this, this week, like – if Kirk Cousins is healthy, this this could be a totally different season for the Vikings. And and I feel for them to that extent. I feel for Kirk, too. I, I don't know if they'll come back together next year. We'll have to see. Uh, Kirk probably won't be healthy till a few weeks into the season next year. So unlikely, but I don't know, man. Good good for Detroit. Yeah, well, I mean, if Kirk Cousins gets the uh, Aaron Rodgers Achilles treatment, then who knows? Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you that this division might be completely different if if Kirk was playing. I think that you could look at this game and and their game the previous week against Cincinnati and say those are two games that you might be able to flip. And then all of a sudden, uh, Minnesota might be nine and six and Detroit might be uh, 10 and five. I think it would be at that point. And you've got a one game difference with one game still to play. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. It's not the world we're living in. And, and Nick Mullins was a big reason why Minnesota wasn't able to pull this one out. I, I mean, I, we should give him a little bit of credit that he had 400 yards in this one. That's an impressive feat if you can throw for over 400 yards in an NFL game, but too careless with the football. I think that there were similar type problems last week against Cincinnati in the turnover game, and, and they weren't corrected for this week with four interceptions. So uh, pretty disappointed to see that. I thought that Kevin O'Connell would have been able to devise a game plan to help try and mask that. And they really just weren't committed to the run at all. I know Detroit has a ton tough, rough, tough rush defense, but Ty Chandler only gets eight carries after a monster day for him in Cincinnati. I think when he had like 150 yards on the ground in Cincinnati last week, uh, didn't sit right with me there. Uh, Justin Jefferson being back was huge for them, but I think that this is probably the nail in the coffin for Minnesota season while they are still mathematically alive. It's going to just take too much for them to, to overcome this at seven and eight with another game against Detroit on the ledger as well. And, and let's consider this now as, as I transition into talking about more of the lions in this one, they now sit tied in record with the 49ers and the Eagles in the NFC. There is an absolutely real possibility that they could be the number one overall seed. Well, I wouldn't bet on it. It's certainly possible. So, I mean, they could be playing for something in that final game of the year as well against Minnesota. Yeah, and San Fran, San Fran has to play um, the Rams that last week of the season. The Eagles actually have the Eagles' e easiest schedule down the stretch with uh, games against the Cardinals and Giants. Again, who they just beat 33-25 yesterday. I was actually surprised that game was as close as it was, um, especially with the Giants switching around quarterbacks. This was officially the death of Tommy Cutlets. It kind of seemed he got whacked at halftime by one of his Italian brothers or something. <laughs> um, that was sad to see, but but ultimately the Giants played better without him. And Philly had this game in hand, but like I said, they should have won this game by more than eight, I felt like. Well, definitely. Um, if we're transitioning into, into that game now, um, Look, they looked better with Tyrod Taylor, and you 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 said that point blank. Definitely the case. Um, you know, for me, I think 
the larger story is is really that Philly continues to struggle against the pass. And I heard today on ESPN that they're the 27th ranked pass defense in the league. You know, when you have a guy like Tyrod Taylor in there, I think it was Darius Slayton that he found on on that deep ball to to really get the the Giants back into the game. Um, yeah, it was. Don't know if it was busted coverage or if he just got behind the the secondary on that one. It was a beautiful throw. Like stuff like that can't happen against a Tyrod Taylor. With no disrespect to him, he's a perennial backup in this league. There's going to be more talented quarterbacks that they're going to have to face in the playoffs. It's been my concern with Philadelphia now for a couple of weeks, and I think it's it's on your radar as well that this pass defense has a ton of holes in it. And you know, you you can go back to any one of examples. We highlighted James Bradbury last week against Drew Locke on that final drive, and here you know we have Tyrod Taylor coming in and in a half of football throwing you know for 150, 175 yards, and you know, you could argue if he had more time, he would have engineered a game-winning drive. You know, they just kind of ran out of time there at the end, didn't have any timeouts. So a lot of holes and warts to fill there. And then, you know, that's just talking about the defensive side of the ball. What did you think of Jalen Hurts' performance in this one? Uh, it was okay. Could have been worse, could have been better. I mean, he wasn't Brock Purdy bad. <laughs> but um, I'm just having fun with the Purdy thing at this point. Yeah, but, man. I still, I still love Purdy. I still think this podcast is too. giving him a lot of love. Uh, bad game for sure, but I do no, too. No. But no, I, I think Hertz was all right. He he missed some throws. He had the pick, but ultimately still had three hundred yards. He had. Uh, I mean, you can't say he wasn't a big part of the reason why they why they won. Um, right. Eight carries, thirty four yards, a touchdown there too. Like, uh, to, I, I feel like when you talk about Jalen Hurts, you have to think about – I try to think about how many other guys in the league could do exactly what he does, how he does it. And you could probably come up with a few names, but for the Eagles' style of play, he works really well. And – I think they've got bigger issues than just hurts by himself. I think they have a real maturity issue that they're trying to work through. Um, you saw it a few times during this game and part of it may come from maybe the offense feels like they have to overcome so much with the, the past defense being in the state that it's in. But at the same time, like I think they're going to win, win out from here unless they're really just trying to rest guys in that last week of the season. But um, I don't know. I, I just – I feel like the NFC is cut and dry like the Niners to win unless unless Detroit can really put something together. I, I just feel like San Fran's going to get a run through almost anybody on that side of the league. Yeah, it's interesting. I I wouldn't completely flip my rankings, but I mean, the way that things have felt over the past two weeks, you, you do kind of feel like Detroit has slid into that that second best team role in the NFC. Um, don't know if I'd go that far myself, but uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, I heard coming into this week, um, I don't know where the tally stands after after everything in week 15, 16, I think we were in, um, but he, he was, uh, he was tied for the, the lead in turnovers uh, among quarterbacks coming into this week. And, um, you know, people have talked about it a lot, but is 
his lack of ability to take care of the ball is something that we've seen week in, week out, something that they've had closed off, you know, private meetings about, and it's still not getting corrected here. It was just the one interception here today, but it was a crucial one. I mean, it was a pick six. And you can look at that as a really a 14-point play potentially because it's a 75-yard interception return. You know, it takes a touchdown away from Philadelphia and then gives the touchdown to, to New York. Until he takes better care of the football, he's just not living up to that big contract that they gave him in the offseason. If he doesn't take better care of the football, that'll prevent this team from, from getting back to the Super Bowl and then ultimately reaching the next level and winning it. If he can do that, if he can turn things around and take better care of the football, then I think that, I mean, they're back to a legit Super Bowl team, and and I think he's going to be worth every penny of that contract. But right now I'm not seeing it and not seeing things corrected. I keep hearing, you know, I, I kept hearing from Philadelphia, you know, they, they haven't played their best game. They're not quite complete yet. I've heard that from their own players. Devonta Smith, I remember him, gave that interview after their win against Kansas City, said it still wasn't a complete game, and – I hear the guy saying the exact same thing now. I don't think anybody would say that this was a complete game of football that they played here today. Well, I mean, we're 15 weeks into 15 games into the season. Now, when is your complete game going to come at, at what point do you look in the mirror and say, this is just who we are. This is, this is our talent level right now. Yeah. I think that's, that's an interesting point on your end. One note I do have actually is that um, so you mentioned most turnovers from quarterbacks. Uh, Josh Allen is one quarterback ahead of Hertz as far as most turnovers. Uh, so interceptions and fumbles lost combined. And I'm looking to see one more guy here. Uh, no, so it's uh, Sam Howell is up there too. So I think. Oh, okay. I think yeah. Sam Howell threw four interceptions this past week. That's why. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got 17 interceptions on the season and one fumble lost. Allen has uh excuse me. Allen has 15 interceptions on the season as well as three fumbles lost. So he's at 18 as well as uh, Howell is and then Hertz has 13 interceptions and four fumbles lost so he's one behind those two guys pretty crazy to think about the um the Eagles have far and away have the best record out of those three teams so in a sense the defense is overcoming for Hertz and the offense is overcoming for the defense at the same time so I guess that would make sense why they're not clicking as well as you would expect them to be. Hmm. Interesting. Could be. I mean, also when you look at those teams, I, I think that the the largest slew of weapons is on Philadelphia. So I mean, they 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 have the well, yeah, absolutely, in, absolutely. Yeah, they have, they yeah, have yeah, the yeah. pieces in play to you would expect them with to... another long drive after a turnover. You know. Yeah, like you would expect them to. You would expect that to work out the way that it does. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. I wasn't. Oh man, I wasn't trying to compare the Eagles to the to the Commanders in terms of being like, oh, they're the same. But oh well, you know what? It seems like we just did. But <laughs> somebody same division. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, Browns, Texans, Joe Flacco, Amari Cooper. My gosh, Amari Cooper had one of the best days of his career. He had the best receiving day that a Cleveland Brown has ever had. 
uh, set a franchise record for 265 yards in the air, also caught two touchdowns. They were just making the Texans secondary look like uh, <laughs> look like the front door at Cotton Gin when we were 18, 19. Just anybody's getting through. Doesn't matter who it is. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It, it was like left and right. I like the analogy, but I didn't start drinking until I was 21. <laughs> left and right, Joe Flacco is hitting people or hitting Amari Cooper down the sidelines, up the seam, whatever. They torched um, the Texans. And this game was was pretty much over by the, by the third quarter. Davis Mills made an appearance in this game for the Texans. Even if Stroud is healthy, I, I don't think the game really changes that much. Like Cleveland's defense was pretty good too. And they're not, they're now totally away from their dominant run game style of offense like they were last season. They're just putting the ball in Joe's hands and trusting him. And I love it, man. I'm, I'm on the Browns bandwagon now. I think they're a pretty good threat in the AFC. I, I, I'd actually say that if it comes down to it with Baltimore hosting them, in a one versus four seed matchup or one versus five seed matchup. I might take the Browns. They beat, they beat the Ravens once already this year in Baltimore when they didn't have Flacco out there. Who's been the best quarterback for them this season. So I I believe in him. Flacco has got Super Bowl experience. He's been there, done that. He's had a lot of battles in the playoffs with the Ravens. And their defense is legit. I think they could they could make it tough for a lot of teams, even with all the guys that they're missing. So on the Texans side of things, I hope they can make their way into the playoffs. If they get Stroud back this week, uh, there's a chance if they can win out. But, man, Cleveland is, is a scary, scary team to think about, especially if Joe and Amari have a connection like this down the stretch. Yeah, the – CJ Stroud being in this game or not didn't, wouldn't have mattered for this one. I mean, this was a 36 to seven point game at one point. So I completely agree on that. And this Cleveland team is looking good in so many facets of the game. Um, you know, even though it was the combination of Case Keenum and Davis Mills here, the what they were able to do for three quarters against this Texans offense is still, still pretty impressive. And, you know, I don't know what else to say other than Flacco's deep ball is absolutely 100% still there. It was his best weapon back when he was in Baltimore and, and, you know, he still got it. Hasn't lost it at all. Do you know, Mari Cooper has a, a 200 yard game with uh, three different teams. I think he's the first receiver to do that. Did I saw Raiders, that Raiders, Cowboys and Browns. Now Terrell Owens is actually the only other oh, Terrell Owens. Has, that. There yeah. Go. So it's just those two guys. That's pretty crazy. That's um, good company to be in though. Him and T.O. Yeah. yeah. Boy, does Dallas wish they still had him, right? Yeah, I don't know how. I can't remember at this point why uh, or what transpired to let him go. If it was a cap issue or or um, or anything like that, but Mari's had great success really everywhere he's been. Like I said, and uh, I thought some of his talent was a little bit overshadowed earlier in the year when they were getting inconsistent quarterback play. Had him in a fantasy league where I missed the playoffs by just one game, and uh, if I if I would have just gotten in, I'd, I'd be in the championship now because how much he's been balling or would have been in the championship now how, just because of how much he's been balling over the past couple of weeks. 
can't say too much else other than that. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where this team goes. I mean, you know, you talk, I've talked about experience in the playoffs a lot already on this podcast. And I mean, while the Browns themselves, not all of these players in the Browns might have playoff experience, the the quarterback at the helm certainly does. He's proven that he can win a Super Bowl before. I don't know if he's got that full run in him, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. If this team were to go into Baltimore, Joe Flacco revenge game type, I would certainly give him more than a puncher's chance. And even though I'm a, a Steeler fan and, you know, despise all the other AFC North teams, uh, I, I don't hate seeing Joe Flacco go out there and succeed. Um, and I would definitely be rooting for Cleveland if they did face off against Baltimore. So credit to Joe. It's been, it's been awesome for him coming back off the couch in the truest sense. Patrick Mahomes, 11 and three career record in the playoffs, Joe Flacco, 10 and five. Pretty comparable. Pretty comparable. Not too far off. Not too far off. And Joe Flacco, the other thing about that run that he had in Baltimore, he did that largely on the road. You know, the they call it the mile high miracle. Um, and yeah. Baltimore when he found, uh, I think it was Jacoby Jones uh, yep. to come back. And that came to overtime. And, uh, you know, that was the Peyton Manning led Broncos. So this is a guy who's accustomed to winning playoff games on the road. That's probably what Cleveland will have to do this go around. Uh, but I don't think that they're scared. I remember that very well. I remember that very well. One of his picks in that game as well was um, they lost their kicker earlier in the game. So they were, he threw like, they were throwing a Hail Mary basically from like the 30 at the end of the first half and it got picked off. Hmm. So I don't really credit that against him too much. He, that was, gotcha. it's like touchdown or bust, you know, Bucks Jags was another kind of interesting game to me. Um, Tampa was up 30 to nothing late in the third quarter they ended up winning 30 to 12 so i don't really count anything after that um uh lawrence also exited the game at one point they're trying to say he had some some shoulder stuff i think there was some cushion some concussion things going on as well uh from last week but baker's been playing his tail off recently he had another awesome game today. He's playing some of the best football of his career right now, I would say. Certainly the last couple of weeks. And Tampa's catching fire at the right time. They've won four straight. And if they beat the Saints at home next week, they pretty much clinch that division. Um, they're not the most dangerous four seed, right? Like, I wouldn't take them against... I don't think I would take them against the Lions or the or the Eagles, well, the they Eagles, won't, they won't might, face the Lions. Or are you just talking about in terms of if they reach the second round of the playoffs? Yeah, that's what okay. I mean. That's gotcha. what I mean. Okay. Like, I don't even know if I would take them against the the Cowboys, but I think they could be frisky. Uh, I'd be interested to see how that how that game goes. Um, the Jags, though, now Lawrence had two picks in that first half. He had uh, a fumble to go with it as well. They have lost four straight. Since Christian Kirk went down, they've really struggled. I think Lawrence really misses having that secondary passing, not that primary passing option. I mean, anybody would. Um, they're missing Zay Jones in this game as well. They host Carolina next week. Carolina, uh, Bryce Young is playing some of the best football we've seen from him as a rookie. They almost upset the Packers at home next week. I could see that being a close game next week between Carolina and Jacksonville. I have that as a, as an upset alert for next week. So keep that on your radar. 
Well, interesting. I, I I don't know if I'd go quite that far, although I would have to see if uh, CJ Beathard would get the start or not. And and uh, if he is starting over Trevor Lawrence, that that might sway me to what you're saying. Um, both these teams are eight and seven now, and the atmosphere and the feeling around each one of them could not be at larger ends of the spectrum. You got Jacksonville here who has just absolutely collapsed down the stretch and has gone from really kind of coughing up the division lead to maybe not even making a, a, a playoff spot. Now, you know, they're eight and seven, they got to battle it out with a slew of the rest of the eight and seven AFC teams, you know, but I really want to talk more about Baker Mayfield because you mentioned that he is playing the best football of his career, uh, 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. Now extremely efficient 26 for 35 in this game. Uh, got Mike Evans back involved, but Chris Godwin was also a factor as well. Uh, I think it was the second touchdown to Mike Evans, which is an absolutely gorgeous throw up the seam, had a, threw it perfectly on a dart. The uh, safety over the top wasn't able to get over there in time and and threw it just in a perfect spot for Evans to come down with it and not get his, uh, his bell rung. I don't know what Baker Mayfield has done in the off season. And maybe it was just him playing with a larger chip on his shoulder, uh, you know, with everybody counting him out and not really even counting him as a starter anymore, but I mean, he's turned he's turned things around, and I, you know, I give him credit. Not not a guy that I've rooted for terribly, too hard in his career, especially with him being in Cleveland. But I can't help but feel happy for him now. Um, it seems like we might finally have a clear best team in the NFC South. I think that's the first time that we can say that maybe all year, as it comes now after fifteen or sixteen weeks in the NFL. But this team's got playmakers on offense. It's got a very good rush defense up there with Vita Vea. And right now they got a quarterback that's capable of winning games. He's won a game in the playoffs before. So um, I don't know if I would take the, take them to beat the five seed, as you mentioned, because that means that they're probably going to have to face either like Dallas or Philadelphia seems like the most likely candidates, but it'll be a game. It'll be, a, it'll be a battle for sure. And they're not just going to roll over. Keeping it up with Baker right now, if the season were to end this year, he would have the highest completion percentage of his career and the third most yards that he's thrown for in his career. So he's at 3598 right now. His career high is 3827 in 2019 in Cleveland. I think he's going to surpass that. Yep, definitely. He oh, also yeah. has yards. 26 touchdown passes right now to eight interceptions. Mm -hmm. His career best is 27 touchdowns in 2018 but he also had 14 picks that year he had 26 and 8 in 2020 with cleveland so i mean his his qbr or qbr doesn't look as great as that 2020 year but his uh, quarterback rating is the highest that it's ever been in a season so this is the, the best version of baker that we've seen so far in his career really and you know, it's taken until his seventh year in the league to get there. But for a guy who's had his ups and downs and, and spent the better portion of two years as a backup, essentially, it's it's pretty cool to see. I'm, I'm happy for him and I'm rooting for the Bucks down the stretch. And for Baker. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree with that. Um, if he's out of the AFC North, I'll root for him now. I don't have a problem with that. So. Uh, this guy's done wonders for himself. Who knows? Maybe it'll get him another uh, another big contract down the stretch or something like that. Always, always good to see a guy get paid one more time, at least.
think I saw that the Bucks are playing paying him like eight million this year or something. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's nothing. That's <laughs> like that's like what a, a backup or a fringe starter gets paid. I think the Steelers are paying Mitch Trubisky seven million. So um I mean that just Crazy. gives you it gives you an example of the the type of talent that he's around if you just look solely at, at what he's getting paid. And that's indicative of what the rest of the of the league thought of him coming into this year. And that perception certainly changed throughout the course of the 2023 season. He's been the right guy for Tampa. He's been the right guy for sure. I wonder if they'll keep him next year. I wouldn't hate him being in New England, actually. I don't know what his contract was. He only on a one-year deal this year. I could probably look that up real quick. I'm pretty sure. I think he was. I don't think it's any more than one season. No, it's a uh, yeah, I'm pretty a four sure. year. Looks like a four year. Th- oh no, I'm sorry. That's that was with Cleveland. I think it's just one year. Yeah, you might be right. I'll have to fact check that. But <laughs> one year. Yep, one year. Four million. Four million with some incentives. Four million dollars with with a bonus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you bonus go. Yeah, so other things incentives too. He's going to get paid now, whether it's by Tampa Bay or some other team that's looking for a starting quarterback, he'll, he'll get a bigger contract. So credit to him. Crazy. Good job on that. Rams Saints. That was another game from our Christmas weekend. This was the Thursday night game. The Rams really had this one all the way. They were up 30 to seven at one point, And then the Saints started making some plays to come back. But I, I wasn't really worried about them giving up the lead at any point, to be honest, Stafford has been incredible this year. He now is on a stretch um, where he has 14 touchdown passes and one interception over his last five games and has thrown multiple touchdown passes in all five of those games. So this is the only, the third time in his stretch, he's done something like third time in his career. He's done something like that. Excuse me. And Kyron Williams, now their first 1,000-yard rusher since Todd Gurley in 2018. They're pretty much a lock for a playoff spot, most likely in the sixth seed. There could be some movement there, but I think they're... (laughs) I think they're a great team, and and I don't don't know if I see them as Super Bowl contenders, but I think they can play with pretty much any of the best teams, and, and... can certainly get it to a situation where it comes down to a few plays here and there to decide the outcome, which if you're one of those top teams, that's, that's not what you want to have to deal with when you're facing a, a Sean McVay and, and Matt Stafford led team. Yeah. Agreed wholeheartedly. Um, I, I love the way you phrase that, that they're, they might not be a Super Bowl contender, but they can on any given Sunday play with uh, among the top dogs in the, the NFL it's pretty much uh pencil them in for 30 points. Now it seems like, it seems like they're putting up nearly 30 points every game since they've got everybody back and healthy. I'll admit I, I missed uh, this game entirely. It was on the road Thursday night uh, traveling back home, but uh was able to see some of the highlights and, you know, I'm not surprised Matt Stafford's playing back at the level that he was um, on that Super Bowl run. And, and Kyron Williams continues to be involved as, as well as the the pass catchers like cup and Nakua. So credit to the Rams. Um, I would disagree that they're locked in as the sixth seed because the NFC, just like the AFC wildcard picture is just absolutely crazy enough for grabs. And this Rams team still does have a game with the 49ers left to play. And after what we saw uh, with the 49ers against the Ravens and and what, you know, the lions and Eagles were able to do, it seems like San Francisco is going to have to play that game or there's a good chance at least that they'll have to 
play that game and and win it to secure the number one overall seed. So that'll be a tough one. Um, I mean, it's reasonable that this Rams team could go nine and eight, and then it'll come down to tiebreakers, of which I think they have some, but but not all against those teams. So it'll be too much for me to predict it there. I wouldn't say anybody's locked at the end of the wild card picture, but I would say this to counter it that they are they're the team I'd still be most confident in um, among the the wild card teams or the wild card slog, if you will, in the NFC to make a deep run in the, in the NFC playoff picture, if they can get in. I feel, I feel similarly with you there. Um, What would need to happen for them to fall out of the playoff race is they would need to either lose out and have one of the seven and eight teams win out. But even if they end up with, I mean, I think they'll beat the Giants. I could even see them beating the Niners, to be honest. Um, well, division rivalry, absolutely. I mean, they should beat the Giants for sure. I mean, I'm not chalking that up as an automatic win or loss for either side. But if they end up with nine wins, I mean, let's say the, the Vikings or the, the Falcons, have they played either of those teams this year? I don't, I don't think so. I know they've played Green Bay and Green Bay sitting at seven and eight right now. And uh, Green Bay beat them when when the Rams weren't fully healthy. So I know the Packers at least have the tiebreaker over them. Uh, right. I don't know what Green – I know Green Bay's got one game against Minnesota still on their schedule, and I don't know what, who else they have. So. No, I, I think they're pretty much – unless something crazy happens, they should be in the playoffs. Um, the, the fluctuation could be with that 6-7 spot. If Seattle wins out and the Rams go one and one – then Seattle would have the six seed, but that might play into the Rams. Well, I, I don't know. It would depend on who they end up playing against. I think if they ended up against the Eagles, I would love the matchup of Stafford's Stafford and, and McVay's offense against that Eagles secondary. That could be a real upset potential game. Yeah, it could. I mean, because they got to cover obviously Nakua and Cup, and then even. <laughs> Lowly Demarcus Robinson even got involved in this game. Not saying that he's just emerging as a legit third pass catcher, but we've seen the Eagles struggle when there's just one pass catcher to defend. And now they'd have two dynamic guys like Cup and Nakua that they'd have to face. I agree that on uh, on paper, that'd be a scary matchup. For Robinson's sure. been really good the last month, though. Like, Has he been? I haven't heard him. I, I Maybe the past couple of weeks. I know he had, what do you have, six for 82 and a touchdown uh, this past game. Yeah, before that, he he had another touchdown, three for four, uh, two for forty-four. Then he went three for forty-six with a touchdown, four for fifty-five with a touchdown. He's got a touchdown in each of their last four games. He scored a touchdown every game in December. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's 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 become that third option for them. Uh, earlier in the year, it was Tutu Atwell, but now they've kind of switched around. Bills Chargers. That was. Like, not a great game. Not not the most impressive Buffalo win, but uh, they didn't play like bad either. They kind of were just in control for the most part. Their defense stopped the Chargers when they needed to. Cameron Dicker had five field goals, and Buffalo scored just enough points to win. Um, very conservative offensive game for Buffalo. They're trying to keep Allen from throwing the ball too much. He only had 21 pass attempts. James Cook had... 20 attempts on the ground and, and had a pretty good day. I, I'm not reading too much into this win. Buffalo's just kind of doing what they have to right now to survive 
And now they do have a playoff seed. They're in the sixth seed in the AFC, but they have to keep winning games. Like they, I think, I don't really think anybody, I'm not sure how many teams could catch them that are behind them. And I actually have them on upset watch against the Patriots this week. I mean, the Pats beat them once already this year. No when, shot. When Mac no Jones shot, was with all due respect, they beat them once already this year with Mac at quarterback. I know okay? in Foxborough though. Still, like they should not have won that game, and they did. And I, I know the Bills have been hot recently, and if they beat the Pats by forty this weekend, say whatever you want. But I have them on upset watch this week. I really do. I think Belichick. If this is his last year in New England, I don't think he cares at all about draft position. And he's trying to win as many games as he can. And the players will play for him if it's his last season, because he'll let the players know and they'll they'll give him some love and and certainly some effort. But they got to play Miami on the road after that. That could be a tough game as well. Playing in South Florida at the end of the year. We've seen that go poorly for Northeastern teams plenty of times. So. Even then, in the playoffs, like I don't think I would trust them against Buffalo or against uh, Baltimore. Excuse me if it came down to it. Yeah, I mean, a game like this just kind of speaks to Buffalo's continued inconsistency. I mean, this is a Chargers team that uh, arguably has been playing as poorly as any other team in in the National Football League over the past couple of weeks, and uh, they don't have their starting quarterback. You know, Easton Stick is in, certainly in the bottom tier, even among the backup quarterbacks that have taken over this season. And, you know, it, it comes down to, I think it was the final minute, right? Right when they kicked that uh, kicked that field goal, because I know that the Chargers were at least had enough time to try the lateral play after. Uh, maybe you can chalk it up to Los Angeles having a little bit of a, like a re re-energy re-energized uh, mantra to to themselves after Brandon Staley did get fired, but uh, Buffalo is lucky to escape this one with a win. That's kind of all I have to say about it. Uh, a little bit disappointed to see them follow up such a strong performance against Dallas with a performance like this. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. You take them this time of year. Uh, they need to come out. They need to play, uh, their best ball against new England, I think, because it, you do make a fair point. I mean, it's a division rivalry game. You know, Belichick has already proven that he can beat them this year. I think it will be different, but I mean, I think that they need to play their a game. If they bring that this, if they bring this type of play that they did against the chargers to that game against new England, they, they could potentially slip up in that one. And then uh, you can't even start thinking about Miami until you get past new England this week. So inconsistent for Buffalo, but a win nonetheless, it's about all I have to say for him. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. And they didn't run the ball nearly as well either. James Cook, 20 carries, 70 yards. Far cry from his uh, 170-yard day from last week. So that's a big part of it too. Well, there is kind of a – there's a thing with teams that get a new head coach. They play a little bit better immediately afterwards. Like we we saw it with the Raiders. We saw it with – Definitely. With – Somebody else fired their coach earlier in the year, right? Or is it just well, the, is, is the, just... Steel, the Steelers came out and played pretty well after Matt Canada was uh That's relieved was. of his duties on the uh offensive coordinator. You mentioned the Raiders. Um there is somebody else out there that I think that we're forgetting, but uh Carolina fired their coach, and I think that they played Tampa Bay pretty competitively in that game, even though they still they still lost. So though yeah, you, cookie crumbles, I guess. You may be right there. You may be right there. 
And Buffalo um, themselves came out uh, pretty hot against the Jets after they fired their offensive coordinator. So, yeah, call it whatever you want. <laughs> uh, all right. Other games that we should just touch on really quickly here. Uh, Seahawks Titans. Weird game. I Seattle won on a on a game winning drive again. They did this. So they won on game-winning drives back-to-back weeks with two different quarterbacks. I don't think that's happened very often in the NFL. Um, if Will Levis plays in this game, it, maybe it's a little bit different for Tennessee. I mean, Derrick Henry was their most explosive <laughs> quarterback of the day with that touchdown. He's got a few now in his career, right? You you had some sort of sat on that. Uh, he is seven for nine in his career passing with either four or five touchdowns. I can't – I think it's four – so he uh, he has a greater than 50% chance uh, to throw a touchdown whenever he just throws a ball. So um, I don't know. Take that to me, what you will. A uh, little feather in his cap uh, on what has been a, a phenomenal career for him. And and that was the saddest thing for me. Um, I didn't really care too much about the outcome of this game, uh, nor did I tune in that much for it. But uh, the brief moments that I did tune in on the broadcast, they were talking about how, uh, you know, this could be the end for – for Derrick Henry, he is going to be a free agent after this. And this guy has just had like a borderline Hall of Fame career with Tennessee. It'd be sad to see him go. I mean, I would completely understand it, though, as he's going to be 30 in January here. But that was a little bit sad for me. He's a guy who's helped me win some fantasy championships over the years, and he's just been a phenomenal guy to watch on the gridiron, uh, the combination of speed and power. So kind of the end of an era, but it was good that he had one of his patented passing touchdowns for Tennessee in this one. I still see him playing after this year. I could see him maybe moving to a. I could see him maybe moving to a different team, but I don't see him retiring just yet. I think he's got another year or so left in it. At least a couple. I mean, we we saw Adrian Peterson play until he was like how old? What 35, 36? Yeah, I, I agree. I think Derrick Henry's still going to play. Um, I, I was just saying the end of an era in Tennessee. Uh, it's a team I think that is pretty young, especially at the quarterback position, and they know that they're not they're not going to be able to compete for a title next year and maybe even the year after that. So I think that they're going to, you know, obviously start making decisions that are going to be targeted at winning games three, four, maybe even five years down the road. And I, I just, unfortunately, even though I've been a big fan of his, I don't think keeping Derrick Henry on on the roster is a move indicative of that so i think his time in tennessee probably is uh could be over but you're right um i think he'll latch onto a team somewhere if he wants to falcons colts another nfc or afc south team here tough loss for the colts they're still in a playoff spot they're in the seventh seed now in the afc but looks like they could fall out of it i mean i look at them simply based on this and i'll talk a little bit about atlanta um, half the Colts wins this year are against the Titans, Patriots, and Panthers. Those are four teams that are at the bottom of the NFL. They've had a couple of wins against good teams as well, so I don't want to totally discount them, but I don't think they're as good as the record says they are. I think if they played league average teams instead of the Pats and Panthers and Titans twice, they'd probably only win like five or six games, probably would only have like five or six wins to their credit. Even if you just replace the the Pats and uh, Panthers with a couple of league average teams, they could have six wins instead of eight. So at times, you know, we've praised them with 
uh, Kevin Steichen, their head coach, and and Gardner Minshew playing some good ball at times, even Michael Pittman, right? But the Falcons beat them up this week. 29-10, their defense was awesome. Uh, Bijan got the ball in his hands a ton. He led them the team in receptions and in rushing attempts. So Arthur Smith was, I guess, listening to all the Twitter critics from this past week and, and got the ball in his best player's hands, as he should. But I don't know. I, I just – I don't see the Colts holding up down the stretch at least as long as um if stroud can play next week this coming week for for houston and and even play in that next game against uh the colts at the end of the year i I could see them if not a couple other teams surpassing indianapolis at the end of the season yeah i don't think i'm as as low on indianapolis as the team as you are but i agree with you that the the two teams that they have on their schedule to finish out the year are not it's not exactly the the most inviting final two teams i mean they've got the raiders upcoming this week who are playing as energized and as well as anybody really i mean coming off a win against kansas city so you can't say that that's an automatic win and then yeah they got that game against houston division rivalry where if cj stroud is back i think that Pretty much everybody's going to take Houston in that one. So, I mean, they could finish out the year with uh, two losses. This was certainly one that they they needed to get. And this kind of speaks to Gardner Minshew's inconsistency. Like, we've seen some great things from him this year. He was very good against Pittsburgh the week before. Then he follows it up with a, you know, 20 for 37 game, barely reaches 200 yards and throws a pick. Like, that's why he's just a tad bit too inconsistent, I think, for to, like, hammer down – that full-time starting role. I still think he's like one of the best 30 quarterbacks in the NFL, but this speaks to some of the inconsistency and the hesitation for an NFL team to just kind of go with him as a franchise guy. Good win for the Falcons too, I guess. I don't have too much to say on their end. I think the Bucs are playing a little bit too good to be caught in the NFC South, but uh, yeah, good job for them to keep their season alive. Uh, I personally don't think Arthur Smith ever looks at the Twitter feed because um that would just be bad on his part because he still has random games where he doesn't give Bijan the ball, but you see good things happen when you do give it to him here. You score nearly 30 points. So not too much else to say in this one. Happy as a Steeler fan that uh, the Colts went down that helped us. Yeah. I'd, uh, and you need the, the Raiders to beat the Colts next week. Cause you have the, t- uh, yeah, the tiebreaker over the Raiders as well. So even if they match you, that will help you a lot. Well, yeah. And then we don't have it over Indianapolis because of head to head. So um, what you I'm want at- is you want the Texans to lose this week, but you want the Raiders to beat the Colts. And then you want the Texans to beat the Colts the week after. And you guys have to win out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure all of what you said is correct. It's difficult to follow at this time of year. I think that we should do a, uh, we should do a tiebreaker segment on the podcast next week when it really is just one week to go with all of these teams and percentage chances. That'd be a lot of fun. Well, even, yeah, you you guys need to win out and then you need the Colts to lose out, basically. And then you need the Texans to win one to to lose this week. Crazy. There's a lot that goes (laughs) into it, yeah. Crazy. Um, All right. Otherwise, I mean, do you want to talk about your win against the Bengals from this past weekend at all? Yeah, I'll just talk about it for a minute or two here quickly. I'll, I will keep it brief, despite what our listeners may think. Um, probably the most excited I've been after a Steeler win in, in two or three years, maybe because it was the best performance they've had 
in three years, basically, um, as we go over 30 points, it was their most dominant win in that amount of time. Um, just the second time in Mike Tomlin's last 57 games that he has beaten a team by more than two touchdowns. So take that into consideration. Uh, wow. Speaks to how many of those close games that we've had. Wow. And the real reason I'm I'm kind of excited, I mean, Mason Rudolph delivered the best quarterback performance that any Steeler quarterback has this year. You know, by no means am I going to say that he's like our franchise guy now or anything like that, but I would like to see him get another opportunity this week against Seattle. I think that that's better than any performance Kenny Pickett has thrown out there this year or the prior year. Um, and, you know, I thought he looked poised. He had a great deep ball. George Pickens uh, responded big time after he's faced a lot of criticism previous week. So um, I think that the door is open for Mason to start again. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of all I have to say. I mean, if you look at his numbers top to bottom they're they're better than Kenny's pretty much any way you look at it. Um, 18 touchdowns, 11 picks to Kenny's. I think Kenny has 13 and 13. So, and fewer games also for Mason, more passing touchdowns and fewer games. So there's a, there's a little bit of an unknown factor when you compare his potential ceiling to Kenny's not saying either one has a very high ceiling, but I was encouraged. It's exciting. At least it's something to kind of look forward to now after it had really been a, a rough, rocky stretch for the Steelers the past couple of weeks. Well, you were also helped out by Jake Browning, my standout <laughs> from last week, throwing three picks and I'll, I'll, I'll own up to this too. He did not have a great day. He, he had some, I mean, he still threw for 335 yards. Like it wasn't like he was terrible, but the, the picks you can't ignore either. So credit to to the Steelers defense, who I think really set the tone for this team today. You had the pick from Patrick Peterson playing only his second game at safety ever in his career. Eric Rowe had an awesome game, not just with the interception, but he had your sec the second most total tackles on your team as well during the game. Coming off the practice squad too. Shouldn't Former be New England Patriot Eric Rowe actually uh, used to be our fifth or sixth cornerback for like a while but i knew you guys elevated him for the practice squad um huge win basically saving your season right now time will tell christmas yeah rudolph save christmas baby wouldn't be the first time (laughs) no sir um talking about my team really quick my new england patriots with a 26 23 christmas eve victory against the denver broncos I couldn't believe we won. Nevertheless, on a Chad Ryland 50-plus yard game-winning field goal, a guy who's been terrible this year and has actually lost us games with missed kicks this season too. Like, I... This Patriots season has been filled with mistake after mistake and so many miscues, and it's just been sloppy from start to finish. And we've just had a couple really weird wins sprinkled in, like just to keep things a little entertaining for us. And I, I don't think that we're a playoff team with Bailey Zappi, but we'd have a few more wins and we might be in the wild card hunt even just because we had at least three or four games that Mac Jones and, and Chad Ryland single-handedly lost us. Uh, but we at least look okay with Zappy. We're not like the worst offensively. He had a pretty good game. He was actually pretty decent. Like he moves the ball down the field. I, I don't hate watching him. I don't want us to keep him as quarterback. He's happily earned the backup job in my opinion in Foxborough. Um, but I was really excited about DeMario Douglas, 
He had another good day, good game offensively. And um, Christian Barmore on the defensive line has been phenomenal all season. Um, he did something today or in this game, eight tackles, five solo tackles and three sacks. Last player to do that was Aaron Donald in 2018. Just, just a little, just a little nugget there. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'm already looking forward towards next season. None, none of these games matter, I, but I don't know who's going to be our quarterback now. Like, I have no idea. Draft one, probably. Got to draft one. Yeah, I guess. But if if the commanders are picking ahead of us, they're probably going to take one of either Drake May or Caleb Williams, whoever's left. You would think, at least. Yeah, that's know. probably. Yeah, it's probably a conversation for another time, closer to draft time. But yeah, I guess in that sense, kind of not a good win that that you you guys got this W kind of randomly out of nowhere. But um, yeah, good for Bailey Zappi. He's certainly going to be a backup, I think, somewhere, whether it's uh, down the road, whether it's New England with you guys again, or or with another team. I think he's done enough to prove that he can come in and spot starts at the very least and and win some games here or there. For Denver, I mean, if last week wasn't the nail of the coffin uh, against Detroit getting blown out there, I mean, this this certainly was. I mean, I think that they've been laid down to rest and the the dirt has been shoveled over their coffin now, the the way things look on their season. Had a real chance to win this game and go eight and seven against an inferior opponent and be right in the thick of things with all the other eight and seven teams fighting for that last wild card spot in the AFC. Uh, now I think that they can pretty much pack it up, you know, not don't know what else to say for them it's it's been an up and down season now with uh with a little bit of an up in the middle of things but more downs than ups i think it reflects poorly on sean payton and uh russ was okay here but they didn't really get Cortland Sutton involved and this team still can't run the football i mean javante williams has to have the worst yards per carry i think i've ever seen they're certainly gonna have to make some changes next year you would 2.2 yards per carry by the way in case anybody was wondering for javante williams in this one 11 carries for 24 yards down horrendous that's pretty rough all right hear me out for for a top 10 teams list this week baltimore one i'm gonna keep san fran at two so i just flip-flop my one and two from last week yeah, I mean, I told you I still think I'd bet on San Francisco to win the Super Bowl, but, I mean, I don't really have much of a leg to stand on after that performance uh, yesterday. I mean, Baltimore just outclassed them, so no arguments with either of those. I have Miami three. I still have Buffalo four, but lightly. I have Detroit five now. Then I have Dallas six. I have Cleveland seven, Philly eight, the Rams nine, and Kansas City 10. Pretty solid list altogether. Um, I would probably put Detroit above Miami, um, just given that this is Miami's first win against a winning team, and it did come at the end of regulation uh, at home. I think you have Philly a little bit too low. I mean, they still, even though they haven't looked that great the past couple of weeks, they still have impressive wins on their resume that include wins against Buffalo. Um, they split with Dallas. They've got a win against Miami and Kansas City. So I think that that's a little bit too low for, for Philly there. And then could you remind me where you had the Cowboys again? I had the Cowboys. Um, I had them right ahead of – I had them at six. Six, Okay. So that's pretty appropriate. I, I think Philly I'd put above Dallas. I mean, um, 
they both have the same record they've split. I mean, it's, it's pretty equal kind of would have them. Um, I want to say I'd probably put Philly at like four Miami five Dallas six. I think if I were to shuffle things around and then outside of that, um, well, Cleveland is is slowly cre- creeping up my rankings. I had them ahead of Philly. I had them as my seven team. Yeah, see, I know things have been great with the Browns lately, but I, I still can't do that. Like, I I think that the Joe Flacco story is amazing, and he is playing good football, but um, I still am going to trust Philadelphia with Hurts and the other weapons that they have more so than the Browns. I mean, they were here last year. I still think top to bottom they're a better team. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I kind of like this top 10. There's I no, no teams from last week's top 10 moved out. I just kind of switched everything around. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like any team really played their way into the top 10. But I don't hate it. So, again, I have Baltimore, San Fran, Miami. Then I have Buffalo, Detroit, Dallas, Cleveland, Phoenix, or uh, Philadelphia, excuse me. Phoenix. The, the Rams. <laughs> We're not playing NBA. You're still in You're still in Christmas NBA, NBA mode. Not even. <laughs> I have the Rams 9 and then the, the Chiefs 10. Um, yeah, I feel good about it too. MVP stuff. Lamar is now the favorite across most platforms. Somewhere in the under two, uh, minus 200 range. DraftKings, you can get them at minus 160. FanDuel, it's minus 170. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has emerged as the number two favorite for the MVP, which I think is it's well-deserved. It's awesome. And it's also really interesting. If this is – if it's going to come down to basically McCaffrey and Lamar, it makes you think that if the Ravens lose the next couple of games or lose one of the next couple of games, the Ravens would have to beat Miami – essentially. And then if they lose that last game of the year against, um, Oh, I don't even remember who they play the last game of the season. Steelers. The Steelers. Yeah. If they lose those two games, you would think, or if they lose against the Steelers, but beat Miami, you would think maybe uh, CMC can go over Lamar. If he plays out of his mind the next two weeks and, and the Niners went out. Right. Well, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, uh, I think that Lamar had slightly longer odds coming into this week than Purdy did. I mean, we've seen these MVP odds fluctuate so much just based on the result of one game. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's say McCaffrey runs for 150 yards in the next matchup and maybe catches another touchdown, runs one in as well. I mean, he could absolutely jump Lamar if Lamar has a down day and uh, and the Ravens lose. I mean, Lamar's stats are – good this year but they're not mind-boggling and I, I to be honest with you i i think mccaffrey is deserving to be right up there in the discussion but i don't really understand why dak prescott has just fallen completely out of the race either i did a uh quarterback versus quarterback comparison of dak and lamar and uh i wanted to run it by you because the numbers are it's interesting when you look at it strictly from a numbers perspective so in total yards, this is encompassing both players' rushing and passing stats. Dak Prescott has 4,192 yards to this point in the season. Lamar Jackson has 4,143. Total touchdowns, again, this encompasses both your passing touchdowns and your rushing touchdowns. Dak Prescott has 32. Lamar Jackson has 24. And they've both thrown seven interceptions. I did not go into looking at their fumbles. I think you could make the case that Lamar doesn't have a weapon on his 
team like equivalent to a CD Lamb, but I think you could also make the case that Baltimore's defense is a peg above Dallas. We've talked about um, some of the defensive comparisons between the Ravens and Cowboys there. I think I mentioned earlier, Ravens lead the league in takeaways this year, and they're also the top scoring defense. So it's not like either guy has nothing else on his team to work with. I think purely from a numbers perspective, Dak is right there, if not better than Lamar. So I don't really know why he's fallen so far out of favor. But I think that the fact that like there's not a clear cut MVP this year is why we're seeing that big fluctuation in odds. So yeah, I would just, if you want to bet on MVP, I would just continue to take somebody at plus money that that you're confident in because we've seen how much it can, it can switch around. Just look at this past week and the week before Dak was the favorite, what, two or three weeks ago. And now he's like at plus 2,200 I'm seeing on, on some of these sites. It doesn't make any sense. I think Personally, I think McCaffrey being at second, I, I hope he wins the MVP because he is probably the best player in the league, right? It's such a testament to him being a running back and being this this competitive in the odds because it's such a quarterback award. I mean, yeah, if you took, I mean, it's like people will look at Lamar Jackson and, and rightly so and say that he's so versatile and worthy of being an MVP because he can throw the ball and he can run it. He's dual threat. Well, I mean, McCaffrey can run the ball and he can catch it. So like he's providing dual threats just just as well, just himself. So yeah, probably best all-around player. Um, I would say that the MVP is not awarded to the best all-around player. You know, the they really the NFL does take into account the term most valuable to their team. And in that sense, maybe at least up until this past week against Baltimore, Brock Purdy was hurting Christian McCaffrey in that sense because he was playing so well as well like i think that they've kind of hurt each other in a way in the in the mvp odds race but i don't know man i i really i'm, I'm kind of done calling this mvp race because it just changes so much any given week i think i think you have some merit to the dac argument you were making i definitely do i mean and i want to clarify too i'm not even saying that i think that he's the MV- i mean i do think he's the mvp but i wasn't trying to like lamar's that- stats aren't the best necessarily like overall stats necessarily right like i I wasn't trying to do the comparison to just like disprove lamar i was just trying to use it to show our listeners that like it is very comparable if you look at like the first guy on this mvp list and the fifth guy and i just don't understand where why there's this disconnect in the odds market as well right no i get you it makes sense to me i mean it like lamar has five rushing touchdowns but that doesn't put him over Dak's total touchdowns you know like Dak has more accounted for Dak has more total yards um the difference is just the team records which like last week remember too yeah last week remember I said like pretty much no matter what happens in this game I think Lamar is going to be the MVP favorite afterwards it ended up where Purdy had such a bad game where you couldn't like that couldn't have not been the case, but right. Right. You're spot on with that, man. Yeah. You called that. Exactly. I mean, it's Lamar's basically gone all the way to the, to the minus odds that Purdy was the week before. Yeah. Which, which, which would, I don't, I don't think that that's like a, a great way to look at it either. Like in terms of this game with Purdy throwing four picks and Lamar generating two touchdowns through the air, I see it, but I'm just saying that like I, that's another thing. I don't think that the MVP odds market should shift and take into account so heavily 
based on just one outcome, you know, because anything could happen on any given Sunday. Jumping back into fantasy football stuff. This is crunch time for fantasy football season. This this is like championship season for, for a lot of people. I'm Oh, it's not like championship season. It, it is, is championship, championship season. Yeah. yeah. I'm in a two-week championship group. So we're gonna take up this week and the next, which I'm excited and nervous for. Um I made it in one league. I made it in one. Did you did you make it in any this year? I made playoffs in one league, got bounced early. Uh it was an eight-man league that I do uh with and I had so you start three receivers, and so the teams are pretty stacked. I had Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill, and Chris Olave on that team. All of those guys missed the first week of the playoffs, and I was out after that. So that's tough. Was, yeah. Other than that, um, wasn't able to get into the postseason in any in any of my leagues. Uh, very disappointing fantasy year for me, top to bottom. I've already gotten over it, and uh, I'll start my prep for. I'll start my prep for next year sooner than a lot of you might think. That's all I'll say. I have on this one team that I have, I have uh, four quarterbacks on the roster. <laughs> I have uh, Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, CJ Stroud, and Joe Flacco. You and have to I, start more than one? No, no. You only have <laughs> to start one. You just hoarding them from the rest yeah, of the league? <laughs> I just, I just have four quarterbacks. Um but I've, I've had the most points scored in the league and I I'm hoping I'm hoping uh, I'm actually not favored to win this week against, against this guy that I'm playing. He's, he's a good friend of mine. He he beat me in the first week of the season actually as well. So I'm a little, little nervous. We'll see. Uh, but anyways, every single week we highlight some of our favorite or least favorite players from the previous week in fantasy football. And we've got some, some good names this week. Some people that are out of the ordinary, I think. I, I don't think any of these guys have won a single award for us yet this season. So I'm excited for it. Paul, my friends, to do you the honor of highlighting your team a little bit and, and their win from this weekend. This is a guy that played a big role in it. Uh, George Pickens is going to be our Put Me In Coach Award winner of the week. Kamish. Man, four receptions, 195 yards, two touchdowns. Who's only started in 15.8% of fantasy leagues across the ESPN servers. Huge, huge day for a guy that has received a lot of criticism in the last couple of weeks, not just from fans, but from media members, even teammates. Jalen Warren called him out after last week, said, uh, he said, I think in one interview, I would have blocked for him in uh, a, a quote about, Pickens not blocking for him on what could have been a touchdown in that Colts game. I'm sure you were stoked by his performance, seeing some signs of life from your passing offense and, and a career day for Pickens. But the limited fantasy managers that started him were stoked as well. And if, if Rudolph can keep up this passing offense, Pickens will be a big part of it for sure. Going forward. I was excited. How could you not be? Um, I mean, the stars did kind of align for Pickens to have a bounce back game here. Uh, something that probably not everybody knows about Mason Rudolph is that the best part of his game is his ability to throw the deep ball. And uh, George Pickens, he still has to develop a lot on his route tree. He, you know, had a big slant that he took to the house here, but other than that, you know, he's, he's um, the best part of his game, I think has been his deep ball threat. This isn't the first time we've seen him 
have a have a nice deep ball route. I mean, if you remember in that game against Baltimore earlier in the year, he kind of sealed that game with his uh his go route for a touchdown there. So he he catches the big bomb in the second half after Cincinnati looked like he was they were gonna maybe creep back into it and that really solidified his day. So for him to have nearly 200 yards of offense after you're right, after receiving some criticism from fans, players, and, and, uh, and media members, it's good for good to see reminds you how talented he is and why the Steelers are, are taking a chance on him, despite a lot of the, the off the field stuff that that was a concern on draft day for him. George Pickens, is he like a Kirkland signature brand DK Metcalf? Well, he's not quite as big as DK. I see where you're going with it. Um, like a great value DK. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. I guess you could see that. I mean, we'll see. Maybe he would even uh, put on a few more pounds in the off season. Um, I don't know if he quite uh, see. I contested catch value. I'd say he's right there. Um, I don't know. I'd like to see both of those guys go up at, together in a in a forty yard dash. Although DK is kind of a Olympic sprinter type, um, or at least he's tried out for the American Olympic track team before i know dollar Man, general I, dk metcalf yeah at the very least dollar general dk <laughs> metcalf um give pickens a couple more years he, he might be right there with him i was surprised that, that pickens speed you know both his touchdowns he had to run at least like 50 yards to to get past defenders so speed is definitely part of his game that i don't think people talk about a lot yeah he can haul he can haul for sure uh we had a couple of honor couple of honorable mentions for this award as well Derek carr had 26.96 fantasy points on 319 yards and three passing touchdowns. A lot of that came in garbage time against the Rams, but hey, that's where a lot of fantasy owners make their money. Uh, we also had Joe Flacco on this list, beneficiary of a huge day from Amari Cooper. Flacco was no slouch himself, though, with 368 passing yards and three touchdowns. He uh, had a 26.82 fantasy points on the day. Not started in very many leagues, either of these guys. Uh, less than 10% for both. So if you're looking to stream a quarterback going forward, wouldn't be a bad idea to pick up either of these two, for sure. I know people that are already starting them every week, pretty much. So, Or at least Joe Flacco, that is. I don't for know sure. if, Derek, if Derek Carr is getting quite as much love, but... I'm on the fence this week. They play the Jets, so I don't feel oh, great about no, it. No, I'd say no, don't start them there. Jets have a good pass defense. They do. Jets are kind of like hit or miss as to whether they care about a game or not. Um, I know we didn't talk about their game, but they pretty much had it was a tale of two games within a game against the Commanders this past week. But I'd stay away from Carr against the Jets if that's who they got coming up. Our discount double stack award winner of the week. Panthers fans, Thurs Nation, stand up. You got Bryce Young and DJ Chark Jr. winning our award this week. Uh, 48.98 combined fantasy points. Both started in less than 2% of leagues this week, and both were top five scorers at their position this week. That's not something you could say for Mason Rudolph and George Pickens or for um, several other guys on this list as well, Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper. So I was stoked. Uh, for these guys, they they fell up a little bit short in that game against the Packers. Uh, tough to to lose on that game-winning field goal there at the end, but they had a great game together. I mean, Young, 312 yards, two touchdowns, uh, had four carries for, for 17 yards, and then Shark had six receptions for 98 yards and was on the receiving end of both of those passing touchdowns. Um, that's a pretty solid connection, or, or it has been at times 
this year. Definitely. Um, or well, I mean, Shark has been, I think as of as of late, as Adam Thielen has has tailed off a little bit. It was kind of more of the Thielen show early in the year. Um, am I reading this right? Um, I apologize for not knowing this off the top of my head. Bryce Young had four carries for 178 yards. It was 17. 17. No. I was about I was about to say that's ridiculous. Typo. Is it typo? That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. Not a problem there. But um, like I'm more. I'm more happy about Bryce Young in terms of looking at this discount double stack. I still believe, and I have said that I think that Bryce Young can be a good NFL quarterback. Um, I just don't think that he's gotten a lot of help around him. And though DJ Chark steps up here in a big way, I don't think that anybody's confusing DJ Chark for, you know, an elite level receiver, nor, you know, a 33 year old Adam Thielen. So there haven't been too many guys to, to work with. It's a nice job for Bryce Young to have a little feather in his cap this year, even though they still came out with the loss. This is certainly his best game and the Carolina Panthers' best game as an offense. So keep trucking there. I don't think that I would be confident enough to start Bryce Young upcoming in a championship game, but it's good to see if there's any deep quarterback leagues. It's good to see that um, he was able to pay off for hopefully some teams out there. All right, we've got the Elvis Presley Impersonator Award. Another one of my favorites. This goes to any player really that is filling in for an injured player on their own team or, or who has a performance alike to a player that's hurt for their team would have, let's say, a backup running back, whatever, like a wide receiver that comes in for, for an injured guy. In this case, it's a team's number two receiver filling in for a number one receiver, T. Higgins, Stepping in for Jamar Chase, he had 24 and a half fantasy points on the day. Five receptions for 140 yards and a touchdown. One of the few highlight plays the Bengals had against your Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was a, a play really similar to Pickens's touchdown, right? That's, yeah, absolutely was. It was a little slant or in route that uh, Higgins was just able to catch in stride and, and basically just outran everybody from there. That's like... I mean, <laughs> that's that's typical Jamar Chase, too, as well, I would say, in terms of uh, what you see from him from time to time. I've seen Chase have that slant route right over the middle, taken for six so many times. So huge day for him, filling in for Chase. Does Chase come back next week, or is he gone for, for multiple weeks? You know, not 100% sure. I can, I can take a look at it now. Um, all I do, just one comment on T. Higgins. Just it's been a difficult year for fantasy managers with him. He's been a big disappointment and someone that was drafted pretty early, second or third round for a lot of a lot of guys or a lot of a lot of fantasy managers out there. But hopefully if there was anybody that did hold on to him, stashed him, whatever, uh, the fruits of those labors paid off this week is uh, hopefully he was able to step up and give deliver a big performance and maybe push people into the championship game of their fantasy fantasy leagues. Um talking about jamar chase he is still questionable right now he is projected for points uh via espn so i think that there's optimism that he's going to play but still questionable um and i don't have a uh, practice update on him yet so it could be a true game time decision we'll see maybe t higgins could be another another good spot start for fantasy teams out there next week also with our award winners this week our you let the whole team down, award winners. This is for the 
lovable losers or not so lovable losers, I guess, if they let your team down. Um, simply put, this goes out to a player or two that was almost definitely in somebody's starting lineup in your league. Hopefully they didn't hurt anybody at this point in the season, but it's possible uh, certainly with one of these guys. So I'm going to give it to the honorable mention first, uh, Devonte Adams, 0.9 fantasy points in a day where the Raiders had an abysmal offensive day. Aiden O'Connell had less than 10 completions in that Raiders win yet still uh, Oakland comes out on top with the dub, but Devonte Adams, he was projected for, 11 and a half fantasy points, 11.6 actually failed to have a full point. Only had one reception for four yards. Pretty rough day for him. Uh, certainly not what you would expect from Devontae Adams in an Oakland win against the, the, the chiefs. That's for sure. Now to touch on Devontae real quick, another guy, similar fashion to T Higgins that was drafted high, you know, probably second round for sure. Uh, maybe in deeper leagues late first and, uh, I just checked. He's been the wide receiver 20 on the year. So averaging just over 11 points per game, that projection was pretty accurate. It's not a really good combination when you have a rookie quarterback in there who only throws for 60 yards in total and the defense scores two, two touchdowns or yeah, scores two touchdowns uh, to have your team playing from ahead the whole time. Not a really good combination there for a fantasy wide receiver. I wouldn't put all the Devontae struggles on, on he himself, the player this year, but Poor quarterback play is, has really hurt him. For our other You Let the Whole Team Down award winners, Brock Purdy, the man himself, Brock Purdy, this, the, the, former, the former MVP frontrunner. <laughs> 2.4 fantasy points. He was projected for 19.2. Um, I mean, 18 of 32 for 255 yards, four interceptions. Benched come fourth quarter for Sam Darnold. That was not something I expected to see. Well, I don't think I, like pretty looked like he came up a little bit gingerly. I couldn't quite tell what happened after one of those hits that he took. Um, I don't know if there's an injury designation on him. I don't know if it was purely performance based. Uh, it might've been, but he did kind of walk off somewhat gingerly to the sideline. So there might've been some sort of injury aspect to it as well, but Nonetheless, he stunk. Yeah, absolutely brutal game for him and for the Niners falling up short in that. So uh, Brock Purdy, unfortunately, our You Let the Whole Team Down award winner, um, not listed on the 49ers injury uh, news as far as postgame stuff goes. I, I haven't seen anything for this week yet. I got the uh, I got the news real quick. It says that Kyle Shanahan says that he is confident Purdy will be available for week 17 against Washington. Um, it said that after exiting the contest, Purdy was spotted with his helmet off, looked ready to check back in the game, but the Niners stuck with backup Sam Darnold, as you said. Um, there is a questionable tag next to him if you look on ESPN right now, so that's pretty vague. Uh, that would be in line with your report, Patrick, that you didn't really see any injury designation kind of odd might have been a little bit of a combination of just get him out of there at that point moving on to our mvps of the week uh honorable mention there's there's some pretty good ones for this week actually this was really tough to pick i was stuck between between a few guys i found ways to to highlight each of them Brees hall our honorable mention for mvp 37.1 fantasy points 20 carries 95 yards 
with two touchdowns on the ground, as well as 12 receptions for 96 yards. This was Ladanian Tomlinson-esque of Brees Hall, this game was. Absolutely insane fantasy performance. Again, 37.1 fantasy points. And a big part of the reason why the, the Jets were able to win that game against the Commanders. Yeah, definitely. I I don't think talent's ever an issue with Brees Hall. He hasn't had the best offensive line to, to block for him this year and really hasn't had the best team and quarterback play in general. I don't know what this team is going to look like with Aaron Rodgers next year. I don't know how effective Aaron Rodgers will be. But I can say this, if they can just get a marginal improvement at the quarterback position, maybe get a little bit of O-line help. I mean, this guy has the ability. I mean, we saw it here. He has the ability to deliver an overall RB1 performance for a whole season. I think he's that talented. This was just a little bit of a glimpse of it. Inconsistencies at times this year, not solely due uh, to Brees Hall himself, the player. Glad to see him get this big performance. And uh, I'm sure that if you had Brees Hall, you're starting him because he, he, you know that he can do something like this, and this might have put some teams over the top in their semifinal games this week. Good pick here for uh, for our honorable mention. Brees Hall, currently in our league, ranked as the ninth overall running back. So he's an RB1 for somebody, and, and I think there's some room for improvement there. I think next year it's possible you could see him sneak up into that top five, maybe, maybe if he has a good season or at least on the very outside of it. Still some time left this year as well, so we'll see. Our overall MVP award winner of the week, I feel like this one was obvious. Anytime you have a guy go for 40-plus, never mind 47 in a week, it's going to be hard not to take him. Amari Cooper, congratulations, setting a franchise record for the Cleveland Browns for receiving yards, 265 on the day. He also had 11 receptions. For two touchdowns, 47 fantasy points. Would have had even more in PPR leagues. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, this one was an easy slam dunk. Uh, so great pick here. Uh, this is a guy that definitely, if you had him in your lineup, he pretty much carried you to the next round of your of your playoff matchup. I mean, if you really think about it, he delivers 47 points here, just in a half PPR style. And that's in a half PPR. If you get a receiver to put up 15, like you're pretty satisfied at that. And he does, he has that times three in one week. So, uh, man, I, I have, a, I had Amari in one of my leagues this year. I just wish for his sake that uh, Joe Flacco would have gotten to Cleveland a little bit sooner. We talked about how talented he was when we broke down that Browns Texans matchup. I couldn't think of anybody more deserving this week. I'd argue to say this is maybe the fantasy performance of the year, just considering the time that it came in the fact that it's probably catapulting a lot of teams into the Super Bowls of their respective leagues. So this one will go down uh, as, as one of the best fantasy performances. If you think about it in the last 10, 15 years, 51 and a half points in PPR leagues, <laughs> dude, unbelievable. A former most yards, most yards in a single NFL game this year. I mean, it's not just, not just a great game looking at it from a fantasy perspective. No, Great you're game. totally right. Great game all around. Vault him into the 12th ranked wide receiver spot in the league as well. Good for him. Former Long Island ice tea bag veteran. I'm happy for him. On to greener pastures. <laughs> That's a reference. Can't believe, can't believe I missed the reference there. He was he was on my he was on uh the tea bags for a good bit. 
This year? Yeah, last year and this year, I think. Last year and this year. I think I drafted him last year and this year. Mm. I might be I might be wrong on last year, but I definitely had him this year for a good bit. Very hit or miss early in the season. Oh yeah, for sure. Who'd you trade him for? Then out of curiosity. Uh I think I think that was the package that helped me get Rasheed Rice, I think. Can't quite say that it well, I don't know, because you do make a fair point. Like when the quarterback play was inconsistent earlier this year, he was not he was not delivering this type of performance or anything near it. No, he so. wasn't. He wasn't. But Rice hardly ever played for me. Um, yeah. Tough um, to evaluate a trade like that. Yeah, is what it is. Um can't believe we only have one more of these after this. Only one more rundown. Fantasy. <laughs> I know. It's sad. It's sad. Well, I are we gonna do the the last week as well? I think that we'll uh we can give some shout outs for the final week, but I I, I think next week we gotta be doing um end of season, looking at it from an end of season perspective, you know, as well. Like who is the best overall. Yeah. Like I think um Yeah, I think that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, we, we gotta waiver wire darling like mvp of the whole season awards like that i like that i like that we'll start brainstorming some of those this week yeah, so sure will so with that we can uh we can maybe let the uh let the audience the listeners give us some uh nominees per se exactly yeah happy for any suggestions the end of season awards are always fun in fantasy it's crazy to look back at, at some of the uh the things, the decisions you were making at come draft time and, and and look at how much things have changed over the course of three, four months. We're certainly going to have to do that with um, the NFL awards as well, our picks for for each of them. Of course. I'd be a fan of doing something like that. That does it for part one of this week's episode of the 5th and Long Podcast. Part two, you can expect to be released on streaming services Friday night or early Saturday morning, somewhere around there, most likely Saturday morning, early, early that morning. Uh, in the meantime, stay tuned to us again on socials, Fifth and Long on Twitter, Fifth and Long Pod on Instagram and YouTube. Soon we're going to be having full episodes on there week after week, something we're really excited for as well. So stick around, part two coming up later this week.